0: Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our healthcare system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth. Helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our healthcare system, as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better healthcare system, listen to the doctor. Now here's Steve.
1: Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on WebTalkRadio.net. I'm host of the program, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the Doctorscore.com Physician Rating website. The big issues facing our healthcare system today are improving quality and lowering cost. On our show last week, we talked to a representative of the American Board of Medical Specialties, focusing on the quality of healthcare in America. This week, we're going to look at the other side. We're going to focus on getting more for our dollar. Our guest today is Dr. Cynthia Kelker. Dr. Kelker is a practicing family physician. She's been practicing for over 20 years, and yet she's also a half-time writer based in Akron, Ohio. There's been a lot of talk about healthcare, and she decided we need some practical ideas for how to lower the cost of care. She's the author of a truly fabulous book filled with practical advice. It's entitled 101 Ways to Save Money on Healthcare. Dr. Kalkar, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know you're going to be such a great guest because I've been reading your book 101 Ways to Save Money on Healthcare. I understand you have a new version of this book coming out September 1st, 2010.
2: Yes, a major publisher picked up my book and the expanded, updated version is coming out September 1st.
1: That's that's great. I get a lot of my ideas about our healthcare system from my practice of actually seeing patients in the clinic. And I get a sense from what I've read so far that that is the source of, of much of your inspiration as well.
2: Yes, I have a private office, um, and I know you're university-based, so maybe your clinic's a little different. But it, it, my perspective is mainly coming from private practice, although I did three years uh, at a um, health service location in Kentucky. A national health service shortage area.
1: Yes. Well, you know, I suspect that um, the difference between academic practice and private practice is less different than people think because, you know, we have to pay our taxes to the federal government, too, and the state. And maybe the biggest difference is we have to to pay the dean on top of everything else that, that we deal with.
2: I think it's a different set of headaches.
1: Uh, perhaps. Well, look, let's just start uh, with with saving some money on doctor visits. I mean, I think that's a great place to start. Um, you've got some key advice about this. Number one, avoid unnecessary doctor visits. How do you do that?
2: Well, it certainly helps to have a mother to ask or somebody who knows more about medicine than than you do. And I don't mean you, the doctor. I mean you, the patient. Uh, if you have... Someone who has raised a dozen kids, they ought to know something. And if you're sick, you might ask them if it's not your mother, maybe an aunt, maybe a neighbor. Um, and uh, a lot of times they are fairly minor illnesses. Now, you're a dermatologist, so you probably see a lot of people with maybe acne or something that maybe people don't really have to go to the doctor for. Uh, I see people with colds. They maybe don't really need to come. Um, Or stomach flu, say that, which mostly doctors don't do much of anything for. Anyway, uh, chicken soup is not a bad idea. But I would suggest asking somebody more experienced in life.
1: I um, love your idea of of calling your family doctor and saying, gee, I've got these symptoms. Is uh, this something I need to come in for?
2: Yes, and you don't always have to call for an appointment. You can just call and ask, do I need an appointment? Or... If it's a short question, like, I've had the flu for two days, do I need to come in? You can usually get a concise answer. But if you've had a problem for three months, your doctor probably would want to see you. Um, But calling first is a great idea.
1: I, I can't speak for all dermatologists, certainly not for all other physicians, but I wouldn't mind at all if a mom were to ask me, hey, my kid has acne, do I need to bring him in and... I could tell them, well, you know, you could try some benzoyl peroxide over the counter first, give that a a shot, and maybe save yourself the trouble.
2: And it it also depends on how well your doctor knows you and how well you know your doctor, which is really another idea, which I titled partner with your doctor. If your doctor knows who you are, at least if I know my patients, I'm much more likely to do extra things for them especially answer phone messages. Uh, If I don't know who they are, then it's very hard to give an accurate diagnosis and you're a little bit concerned about what might happen with that information you give out. Um, So if you don't have a doctor, it's a good idea to get one, so you could call.
1: I love this idea of partnering with the physician. I, I make it a habit of giving out my card to patients, giving them my contact information, email address, guess in theory it won't be long before they'll be using their digital cameras to take pictures of their moles on a regular basis and can decide whether they need to come in for that um i don't know if, if every doctor does this but i suspect that doctors do it a whole lot better than people think they do because all of us who have a physician that we have a really great relationship as i i do with my uh gerontologist um we don't we don't talk about it. We don't, it doesn't make the newspapers. And then, you know, the the occasional person who has a bad, um, a bad relationship with their physician, they might be very loud about that. And and it may well be that most of that doctor's uh, other patients have a partnership kind of relationship. And um, we shouldn't just assume that, A particular doctor doesn't do that just because maybe one or two patients had that experience.
2: I'd have to agree with that. And it's, of course, true that two people may not necessarily jive with one another. And if you and your doctor just really don't understand each other, maybe it's time to get another doctor. But for the most part, uh, I think the relationships are good, especially if the doctor has time for the patient, if if they're seeing you every two minutes, every a patient every two minutes, well, that's no good. Um, but if you can actually spend a few minutes talking with your doctor, you'll probably be able to develop a good relationship.
1: The next section of your book uh, on saving money suggests that you should see your family doctor, not a specialist. And I wrote all kinds of notes down about this because mm-hmm. I am a specialist. How is it that seeing a family doctor is going to be more efficient than seeing a specialist in terms of cost?
2: Well, in a couple ways. For one thing, if your doctor already knows a lot about you, they wouldn't have to review all the other information. If you go to a specialist, they are often starting from ground one and they have to review everything. So that's a time factor. And at least in Akron, Ohio, the specialists tend to charge more than the family doctors do although with the insurance payments, that's getting equalized, I guess. Um, and family doctors like to see things besides cold. That's for true. Uh, that's true. And uh, since you're a dermatologist, what do you think about the idea there of seeing a family doctor for some of these things I mentioned?
1: Yeah, well, I want to go into detail about that. But, you know, just from a philosophical standpoint, you know, it might seem, okay, yeah, they already know you. On the other hand... The Industrial Revolution um, modernized, uh, you know, the production of goods. Uh, I think it started like with weapons, like with guns, you know. In the old days, one person made a gun. They made the stock. They made the barrel. They made, you know, the trigger. They had to put it all together. And guns took a long time to make and didn't work very well. And then along comes the Industrial, Industrial Revolution. One person specializes in making, you know, the barrels, and another person specializes in making the triggers. Uh, same thing with sewing machines. Somebody might specialize in making the needles and stuff. And before you know it, you know, modern machines became much better and it was much more efficient and productive to, to have specialization. Um, so I just wonder, um, for example, with skin disease, if I'm able to – walk in the door of the room, and know exactly what the patient has from the door of the room, um, and know exactly what to treat them with, is it really that much more efficient for them to see a family doctor first?
2: Well, not all the time. That is true. What one problem a lot of my patients have is they get too many doctors. They have a Right now, a lot of my patients are middle-aged and older, so A number of them have a family doctor and a cardiologist and a dermatologist and a podiatrist and uh, maybe another one, and that gets very complex for a person. And I'm sure you know that once you start seeing a doctor, say a specialist, they they do feel a certain obligation to keep seeing you a lot of the time, and then people are going to six different doctors. But the uh, skin diseases, say, that I see... Most of them, let's say at least 80% of them, are fairly straightforward. And the ones that I see, they don't necessarily need to see a specialist. But they're not all straightforward, and I imagine you are better than I am at deciding, is this a lesion need to be biopsied or not? And uh, is there some medicine to help? You said you are specialized in psoriasis. Like is there something that this psoriatic uh, patient would really benefit from.
1: Yeah, you uh, know, I, I don't know, and and I'll, I'll tell you, first of all, I'm a big believer that we should all, all our listeners, me personally, we should all have a, a, a primary care doctor, a family physician, or depending on your circumstances, perhaps it's an internist or whatever, but, um, and I have tremendous respect for my colleagues in, in other specialties, um, but as a, as a dermatologist, the patients who come see me, who've seen a family f- physician first, almost invariably, they either got the wrong diagnosis or they got the wrong treatment or they got a treatment that made things worse. And almost never, almost never did they get a, an accurate diagnosis a tr- and a treatment that cleared them up. And many of us dermatologists, I think, look at that and then go, oh my God, what are the family docs doing? But one of the things that you have to remember is that we're all in our separate boxes. And in our dermatology box, we don't see the patients where the family physician made the right diagnosis and gave the right treatment and got the patient well because there's no reason for those patients to come see us. So we see a very select population, and it's, it's easy for one doctor to get um, a sense that other doctors don't know what they're doing based on their experiences of the patients they see. If they don't keep in mind this idea that they're not seeing all the happy patients
2: that that's true you're seeing the tip of the iceberg, and we've seen the other eighty ninety percent who did fine with their medicines but um uh, that brings up another good point um, when I see patients, and since we're talking skin, and you're a dermatologist it's a good way to talk about it. I see patients they come in for let's say diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol. And then as I'm about to walk out the door, and by the way, doc, I got this rash, okay? So it doesn't really necessarily get the full attention that it could if they just came in for that one problem. And so maybe if they only came in for that one problem, um, they would get more attention sometimes from the family doctor. But that's a really common scenario. And,
1: uh, so are you saying in this scenario, I mean, in this scenario, it sounds like they could almost get free care for the, for the mole or the rash because they're already in the office. So they're not going to get charged for a second visit.
2: Yeah. And they they often do. And, and at least with family doctors, they want to do it all the time. It's like a one stop shopping and that does work much of the time. It doesn't work all the time. And I don't know how much you get this in dermatology, but the question going out the door, we get that all the time Oh yes, because they, they bring their shopping list. I don't know if they bring a shopping list to you, but they, they do to the family doctor. And I can understand that. Doctors don't like it, though, uh, if somebody comes in for one thing and they want five things uh, addressed. But from a patient's point of view, it makes sense. But um, it you can ruin the schedule for the day if you actually pay attention to those things, and sometimes you really have to pay attention to those things. I, I
1: think doctors are sometimes, um, they give, leave a patient with the impression that they don't care about their patients when they don't want to take the time to address those, you know, additional problems at the last moment, but it, it turns out, I think a lot of time what's going on is patient, is that the doctors care desperately about their patients, and they don't want to keep other patients waiting either, and um, so that creates a stress to try to manage things efficiently um, so in order to actually help all the other patients that are out there.
2: that That's true. And uh, doctors don't necessarily want to ask a patient to come back again soon because most of the patients don't want to come back again soon. You know, it's not that convenient. They might have to take time off work, and then they'd have to pay another copay, and people don't want to do that. Um so it's a, a balancing act there. Uh, I do think that the ideas in my book, 101 Ways to Save Money on Healthcare, that if people read like that first chapter on saving money on doctor visits, they would understand the doctor-patient relationship from the doctor's point of view somewhat better.
1: Not only that, but if doctors would read your book, <laughs> they would understand better what their doctor-patient relationship should be like if they didn't already know.
2: Uh, yes, and I am I am distributing it to some doctors on that basis.
1: Yeah, you know I think it's a sneaky way because you really can't tell doctors what to do, but if you tell the patients what it should be like, and then you let the doctors read it sort of secondhand, I think it's a a less threatening way to get the message across to the physicians.
2: Yeah, uh, there's there's so much turmoil right now going on in the the whole medical field that. Uh, Nobody knows what's happening, but it it seems like people are being educated that they shouldn't have to pay for health care, which is a problem. I don't know if you see it. I am in a small practice, and it's just me and uh, my secretary, and so I'm very close to the billing operation. In your situation, I don't know really how close you are. But I I think that the closer we are, the more we see of it. And if people complain, not everybody, but some people complain, well, I had to pay $20 at the doctor's. And what's $20? That's one dinner. Um, On the other hand, some people, $20 is a lot. Uh, On the other hand, they have their cell phones with them. um,
1: Yeah, you probably can see from the window what kind of car they drove up in, too.
2: (laughs) Well, sometimes, yeah. yeah, but but actually, my patients for the most part have been my patients for a long time, and I know them pretty well since I've been in the same place for twenty years, and it's a community. Um, it's not a university setting where you probably get a lot of different patients.
1: Well, uh, I, I want to close our, our our discussion of of um, the doctors and our experiences of them um, before we move on to another topic. I. You know, as a dermatologist, of course, I see the failures of other doctors. Those are the patients who come see me. The other doctor's successes don't come don't come to see me. But I, even though that's true, I'm extraordinarily optimistic about physicians because I remember my medical school class, and it was an extraordinary group of individuals, and they didn't become unextraordinary when they finished their medical school training. And doctors are staying on top of of uh, continuing medical education, and and um, When I look at your chapter on the things you could see your family doc for, I look at this long list. And I have a tremendous sense that doctors tend to do what they're qualified to do. And they're not trying to um, push their limits. They're not trying to uh, give patients care that that they're not qualified to do. Um, I'm very optimistic about us as a group.
2: Well, I think some of the finest people in the world become doctors, and uh, I would certainly hope that it stays that way. You do want a doctor who's in it for more than the money, somebody who really cares about the patients. Uh,
1: Uh, Yes, And, and, and I am just amazed over and over again when I, you know, doctors I don't know from a distance and I've only seen their failures, but then when I actually get up and talk to them and learn more about their practice, how de- incredibly devoted physicians are to their patients. Well, you're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on WebTalkRadio.net. We're talking today with Dr. Cynthia Kelker. She's the author of 101 Ways to Save Money on Healthcare. Dr. Kelker, um, you were getting into the high cost of medical care and, and how scary this is, I think, for us as a society. Um, You've put together, you know, this entire book, many, many um, small and large ways of um, lowering uh, the cost of care. Um, When you say that you're seeing more and more that people feel like they shouldn't have to pay for it, you know, I get the sense that that is, by and large, the underlying problem with our medical care system, that as we depend on some third party to pay for us, then then it takes away any incentive we have to even buy your book and try to figure <laughs> out ways to lower our medical costs. We just you know, tell the doctors, hey, I don't care what it costs. Give me the best possible treatment you can because the money doesn't matter.
2: Yes. When you're not paying for it, if somebody else is paying for it, it doesn't matter. If If, if I could have my car fixed and you could pay for it, it would be in tip-top shape, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's not in tip-top shape. Um, well, I do understand from a patient's point of view, say a patient with insurance, they've already paid for the insurance. They want it to pay for everything. They don't want to pay $300 a month plus pay more to go see the doctor. The way I see it is uh, health insurance should be more like car insurance. You have the car insurance in case something really bad happens. Get in a wreck and your car is totaled or, you know, you do thousands of dollars of damage. But you still have to buy tires. You still have to buy gas. You still have to buy oil. Um, and maybe health care should be more like that, health yeah, insurance, more like that.
1: Yeah, right now, um, I think a previous guest was saying it's as though the you know, we have um, insurance, auto insurance, to pay for your oil changes. It, it just doesn't make sense. And uh, right. If we were to have insurance that paid for our oil changes, the people who are changing our oil would probably use some really fancy, top-of-the-line brand of oil for us. It was really expensive, and the cost of even the oil changes would get so high that the people who didn't have auto insurance wouldn't be able to afford oil changes.
2: Yeah, that that does not make sense. Well, uh, I don't know how long you've been in medicine, but um, I remember when the first HMOs came to Akron, Ohio, and the thinking there partly was, at least, if everybody had their family doctor, they would go see their family doctor, and they would get all these routine maintenance things taken care of, and they would do the preventive uh, health care, and in the long run, it would lower costs, but it doesn't seem like it turned out that way.
1: Uh, I think we're going to have to have you on another show to talk about preventive care altogether. Um, because that is such a big area. One of the things that, that 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 is early in your book is saving on the cost of prescription medicine. So we we talked about a few of the things you could do to save money on doctor visits. Certainly not all the many things you've touched on, but let's talk a little bit about saving money on prescription medicines. Um, your first tip about that uh, about knowing your formulary, I think, is um, is is quite valuable. Explain how this works.
2: Yes. If you have insurance, you have a formula, you, whether you know it or not. So
1: this is a list of drugs that your insurance company prefers to pay for?
2: Right, and they also usually have a tiered system where the lower-cost drugs uh, have either no-copay or a low-copay, and then there's usually a Tier 2, which is in between, and then a Tier 3, which is usually brand-name drugs that are expensive. And then, of course, there's drugs that don't make the formulary at all that you'd be expected to pay for yourself. Um, and you, at least among my patients, I'm often surprised how many people don't know they have a formulary or don't even know what it is. Um, how about your patients? Do they understand well,
1: that? Do they? I, I doubt it, and, and certainly I don't. Um, but they know when they're hit with a high copay and they'll call back to say, Gee, this, can we find something lower? I, I, I suffer with, well, I don't know, suffer is a little strong word, with high cholesterol. And my um, my primary care doctor has me taking a cholesterol-lowering medicine. And my three-month supply cost me something under $2. Um, $2, less than $2 for a three-month supply. So I'm, I'm certain my th- this drug must be on my insurer's lowest uh, tier. I don't know that it's necessarily the absolute best drug for cholesterol. It's a generic uh, um, uh, simvastatin, I think, is the one. There may be some fancier one that might do an arguably better job, but uh, I like the copay system. I like the fact that I'm, you know, on a cost-effective medication, and it has guided me in that direction.
2: Yes, and... When you have insurance and you're dealing with a formulary, um, it, really we start crossing over to what I call the $4 list because the on the formularies, the lowest copay drugs are often on the $4 list, as in they would only cost you $4 if you paid for them. So generic um, depending on the dose and depending on the pharmacy, could be as little as $4 a month paying cash. And, of course, that drug by brand name Zocor uh, was over $100 a couple of years ago. So it is a real big savings. And if your cholesterol is lowered adequately, then that makes sense. I um, I don't walk around my office with a handful of formularies. I really can't do that. But I do expect that my patients should have their formulary. But I do walk around with my prescriptions, a list of the four dollar medicines. Do you ever do that?
1: I have posted in each um, exam room in my office the list of four dollar medicines. that I uh, can't remember. It's at Walmart or Target. It's one or the other.
2: Yeah, and, Walmart uh, sent them to every all the doctors, I think.
1: Yes, we Xerox did put it up in each room, and I and I, I'm a big believer <laughs> in those. You know, I can remember the day that that. Uh, oral Lamisil, Turbinifin, went from like $1,000 for a course (laughs) of therapy down to $10, Yeah, you know, and uh, for the treatment of toenail fungus. And uh, what an enormous difference that made. Um, I'm still hassled by insurance companies at intervals. They had these prior authorizations for Lamisil uh, when it was a $1,000 drug. And somehow they're still wasting my time with these things uh, today, even though probably the cost of doing the prior authorization is more than the cost of the medication.
2: Yeah, that that is one of the amazing drug drugs that the price went down so much. And then uh, you probably don't prescribe the uh, PPIs, the proton pump inhibitors, but when those went over the counter for twenty five dollars a month instead of a hundred and twenty five dollars a month, it was just an, an amazing thing. Um, I'm sure that the drug companies. Analyzed the market and figured out how they could make the most money, but uh, for the patients that turned out very well.
1: Yeah, I, I think they do that, but at the same time, I don't like to badmouth them too much because when I was in medical school in nineteen, starting in nineteen eighty, there were no proton pump inhibitors, and yes. it's really what they do is really an amazing thing, and they yes. get their money, and then when it goes generic, heck, it's even that much better.
2: Yes, I I, I did put that. In, in the book, too, toward the end, um, number 91, Harness the Heartburn, starting with Tagamet. So actually, you and I were in medical school around the same time, and I remember before there was any Tagamet. And when that drug came on the market, that was like a miracle.
1: Yeah, it's. it's I'm just amazed at the, the continuing miracles that they bring us. Well, all right. One of your um, advice is to look for coupons, and I have some real mixed feelings about these coupons. Um, t- tell us about uh, about coupons for drugs.
2: Uh, I'm interested in your mixed feelings, too, but it might be partly because um, I think that the drug companies, uh, in order to get their um, brand-name medicines on a par with the generic medicines for the copays. They increase their price and then give you a coupon. <laughs> so is that fair or not fair? But my book is really aimed at reality the way it is. So if you're just trying to save money, you can find coupons online. You can find them at your doctor's office. You can find them at the pharmacies. They can save you somewhere as high as $55 a month on a copay um,
1: that that's an underestimate for the new biologic medications that cost I don't know thousands of dollars per injection. Yeah, and sometimes maybe some insurer might only cover half the cost of the drug, leaving the patient with hundreds and hundreds of dollars, or perhaps thousands of dollars a month. Uh, and they'll and, and the coupon might cover that whole thing. Uh, yeah, it's really amazing, um, and it looks like you're saving patients money by giving them these coupons. But let's say, you know, like I mentioned, I'm taking the generic Simvastatin. But if there was some really expensive brand name uh, cholesterol-lowering medicine and they gave me a coupon that I didn't have to pay the copay for it, then it would look like they're saving me a lot of money. But then my insurance company uh, ends up getting gouged and the insurance company doesn't print money. It comes from patients. And so the end result is if everybody takes advantage of these coupons, then you eliminate basically the tiered system that encourages us to um, use medicines and, and spend responsibly, and the overall cost of care is going to go nuts.
2: And I agree with that, too. <laughs> and, uh, well, again, when I wrote this book, I was really aiming it at, at how to help people today. But I do agree, in the long run, a number of these things cannot be sustained. For example, I mention in the book a lot of government programs that can help people. But on the other hand, I don't want my taxes to go up and up and up because everybody's getting government programs. That doesn't make sense. Um, it, It is incumbent upon the doctors to know how much things cost, too. And you mentioned the biologicals that cost thousands of dollars a month. Well, I don't prescribe those. Um, but I have had some patients take them, and I can't always tell that they're doing anything. So we as doctors need to be responsible in what we're prescribing, too.
1: That's that's a double-edged sword. I love the idea of being responsible And yet we're our patients' advocates and ought to be giving them the best care. And as you mentioned, they've already got a contract with the insurer that the insurer has agreed to pay for what they need. So on the one hand, we should be responsible, but I don't know if if our role is to ration our patient's care.
2: No, uh, um, although really care is getting rationed all over the place, but... Ideally, maybe patients are the best ones to ration their care, but sometimes they ration it too much. So um, I don't know the exact best answer. I love your
1: idea of having the patients ration their own care. Do you you have patients who have uh, HSAs, health savings accounts, as their prime means of of insurance in your
2: area? Just a few. Now I have one myself, and I use it mainly at the dentist. (laughs) And I'm rationing my own care because I could go spend, I hate to say it, well, thousands and thousands of dollars on, you know, crowns and things like that, which my own um, high-deductible plan doesn't pay for anyway. Um, But, you know, doctors ration their own care. Um, And uh, there are dangers there, too, don't you think, because people don't necessarily get needed care. But then who is better to ration it?
1: Yeah, who's uh, to say what's needed? You know, it, we, we've talked about the two extremes, the patients who feel like I should have it all and I shouldn't have to pay anything, and then the HSA model where it's it's my health and my money and I'm responsible for making rational decisions.
2: Well, there isn't enough money to go around for everybody to get everything in the world that they possibly could have. Like um, Mike, just for example, if health insurance covered facelift and uh, all the cosmetic surgery that you want and all the Viagra that you want and um, what's the newest, well, anyway, everything that's maybe questionable, I don't think there's quite enough to go around. Um, yeah, I think you're right about that. I have a hmm. I won't mention the exact drug, but you see these commercials nowadays on low T. Um, on, on low T? Yeah, <laughs> low testosterone. Oh, uh-huh. But they just say low T on huh. TV. Uh, but it's for low testosterone, and they're, they're implying that like a third of men in middle age have low T. Well, maybe they do have lower T than they used to have, but does that mean we need to pay $200 a month we, are insurance society, anyway, $200 a month for them all to get normal tea, normal testosterone. Well, of course, some people truly do need that kind of medicine. But every time doctors get a new toy or a new drug, we feel like we have to use it maybe more than we really have to use it.
1: Yeah, you know, I think uh, a nice example of this was... Um... Well, lamisil for fungus. I mean, it was a thousand dollars, and so at the time, you know, I was really worried about how much liver disease it caused. But now that it's ten bucks, maybe I don't have to worry so much about that. And you know, there's other ways of thinking about these things. Well, look, Doctor Kelker, uh, your book is phenomenal, and at the end of our each show, um, we like to to give our listeners. Um, uh, practical advice on how to get the best possible health care, uh, how to improve the health care system uh, we 've been talking about practical advice all all through this, but do you want to leave um, leave our listeners with any specific messages today?
2: I would say something that you said a few minutes ago that people are in charge of their own health and and really what is spent on their own health to a, a large degree and so I would say partner with your doctor and take charge yourself. And I think you'll come out with the best outcome.
1: That's outstanding. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
2: Thank you, Dr. Feldman.
1: Too much of our healthcare system seems to be planned around treating us as children. There's this attitude that we patients can't make decisions for ourselves, that our system needs to take care of us and the system needs to be fixed rather than giving individuals more personal responsibility for actions that will improve their health care. I say you can get better health care. So many of our show's guests have said all you need to do is be an active participant. You can take responsibility and you can avoid the kinds of errors that result in malpractice. You can help assure the quality of the medical care you're getting. And now you can even reduce the cost of your medical care. I love Dr. Kelker's laser beam focus on practical and immediate ways people can save on their health care and improve quality at the same time. Dr. Kelker's book is a great resource. I want to suggest my book as a complementary resource. It's called Great Medical Care. It doesn't cover reducing the cost of care, but I think it can help assure you that at least you'll know the basics of making sure you get a great medical visit with your doctor you can download great medical care at lulu.com that's l-u-l-u.com just look up great medical care on the lulu site well next week we're going to be discussing electronical i'm sorry electronic medical records electronic medical records have the power to help us people are talking about oh how this is going to improve quality this is going to help us lower the cost of care we're going to learn about some downsides, too, from Dr. Dan Siegel, a pioneer in the use of electronic medical records. Well, that's all I have for today. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until next time, have a healthy week.
0: Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DoctorScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to health care empowerment. That's D R S C O R E dot com, dot com. And we'll see you next week, right here on Getting Better Healthcare.